Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another episode of New Head, where we learn to live in the present moment. How are you doing, breathers? Yeah, that's my name for all of you who are taking time to breathe and be in the present moment. I am really thrilled about this episode today. It's a long one. Spoiler alert. I hope you take time to just listen to this because I could not cut it out into two. I loved everything my guest was saying today. And so it's long, but it's well worth the listen. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Dorothy Ooko. Today's quote is from James 3.16, as shared by my guest. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James 3.16. As is our practice, Let's take a moment to fully arrive and settle down by doing a few breathing exercises. Fully arriving is about coming to stillness, tuning in to the present moment. It's about allowing your breath to transition you from what you are doing to this present moment. This allows you to become still and check in on how you're feeling. So let's practice together by being aware of our breath. We will breathe in through our nose. Hold to a count of two and then we will breathe out slowly through the mouth. So let's begin. We will breathe in to a count of five. Hold to a count of two. Breathe out slowly through the mouth to a count of five. Breathe in through your nose. Hold. Breathe out slowly through the mouth. Breathe in through the nose. Hold. Breathe out slowly through the mouth. And welcome to this episode. I'm thrilled today to host David Mudami, Emmy-nominated music producer, multiple award-winning producer, who has worked with the likes of Rodney Jerkins, a wonderful husband and father, and an all-round amazing human being. I'm so privileged to call him my friend. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's an honor. 
Yeah, I'm so, so glad that we could make this moment happen because I've been lucky to be tasting your food this week and I have just wanted us to have a chat about life. So the first question I ask is always, how has COVID been for you? What are the lessons that COVID is teaching you? Because obviously there are many lessons we've learned through this pandemic, but if we just rise a little bit higher and look at it, I guess from what I'd call a 30,000 foot view, like a bird's eye view. So we have a bit of an expanded view of what it's, it's taught me. I guess I'm obsessed with seeing the bigger picture of things. And by the time COVID hit, it found us, I guess my wife and I, my family and I, I find that in life I tend to be a forerunner. Not necessarily in a good way, not like, oh, I, I know the, the cool stuff first, but rather in the sense that if a lesson is coming to, uh, let's say, humanity, I don't know, for some reason I get chosen to be one of the first people to experience the lesson. So COVID-19 came at a time when we were already transitioning, our lives were transitioning into something else. So it kind of felt like the, the turning up of the heat of something that was already going on. If you look at global events, because global events usually are an indicator of what's happening in our tiny little spaces. And that's throughout history. Meaning if when, when, when Rome was ruling the world, then the Roman Empire had Rome as a center, but then it spread out into, I guess, all of Europe and parts of Asia and North Africa. And if you lived in some tiny small village somewhere in the middle of nowhere, whatever was happening in Rome trickled down to you at some point. And so we can we can look at global events and see what's going on in the culture. And currently, you'll notice that narcissism, for example, has risen to the highest levels of our leadership in the world. And so you're having that being a very central theme. And that is an indicator of where we are as a human race. And I feel like COVID-19, it has come to, I guess, sift, right? So we're seeing our own character being revealed so for example we had a group of celebrities that did an imagine song on instagram and it did not go well and that just that's an that's a small indicator of how endemic the culture of narcissism is so we become so self-seeking and so self-centered as a human race and i guess the exemplification of that is you know to put it bluntly donald trump that is the leader of the free quote unquote the free world and so if the leader of the free world is a known narcissist, that shows you where we are as a human race. That's where we, it, it, the thing has, has, be, has finally arrived at, at fruition. And so COVID-19 has come at a time where now everything is glaring. We're seeing clearly what's what in the world. And so on a more personal level, it has forced me as an, as an individual looking at what's going on globally to kind of just take a second look at my own character and what it says about me. How do I deal with people? How do I deal with adversity? You know, as they say, adversity amplifies whatever, you know, emotion that, or whatever character flaws that you have become amplified when adversity hits. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, apart from obviously the sadness of people losing their lives and a lot of governments failing to react promptly enough to prevent that, I think that if you really look deeply, you'll see it has come as a, as a sieve to kind of show who's the wheat and who's the chaff. It's not, it's not a sentence, it's just 
you know, you look at something, you realize, okay, maybe I have toxic behavior. Maybe my character needs work. It becomes clear. Now it has become clear and it's for, for different reasons, especially in the industry that I work in, which is entertainment. Um, a lot of my friends and peers and people who are in the, in the industry are really suffering because we're not able to do live events and we're not able to do different things. And how, how we reach out to one another, how we treat each other during this time, our compassion, are we compassionate or are we self-seeking? Are we self-indulgent? Do we ensure our own survival at the expense of others? Those kinds of things are coming to the surface. And so the world is being tested and our character is, is coming to the forefront. And we're living in an age where, yes, you might have great accomplishments um, in terms of your education or your work and all of that. But for years and years, character was swept under the rug. So the events that have been leading up to this, whether it's Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement, have been building up to something where, where character is becoming something that people are looking to as an indicator of who should we look up to as leaders, who should we look up to as opinion leaders, who should we look up to as people who shape our culture. So for years and years, because we're all busy just doing our own thing, there was nothing that brought all these issues into one space so we could be able to address it and realize we have an issue, a problem as society in general. And so I think what COVID did is it, it forced all of us to stand still. Mm. Nobody, we're all in our houses. We can now look at those little things that we've been sort of brushing under the rug and ignoring and pretending they don't really matter. I think there's people who are looking forward to things going back to what they were. I'm of the opinion that things will never go back to what they were. I am with you on that one. I think that yeah. things are going to change and we're going to have a new standard of living and a new expectation on on the people that we interact with. And going forward, I think that character-based organization, leadership, whatever industries are going to stand out more clearly because yeah. that's what they, the world is yearning for. We're yearning for people of good repute, whether mm -hmm. behind closed doors or out in the open. We have mastered as a human race, the art of bifurcating our lives. So whereby you'll see David is like this when he's talking to this caliber of human, to use that term, you know, based on how we view people. Or when I talk, I'm talking to somebody that I view to be lesser than me or better than me, then my who I am changes. Now we're being forced to finally face ourselves and say, do I want to mature enough to be the same person across the board? Or do I try, want to continue to be this bifurcated thing where some people know me as a great person, nice person. Some other group of people know me as toxic. Another group of people knows me as, you know, this or that. And so now people's character is coming to the, to the fore. You've seen all these little incidences where... You've really said a lot. And I feel like we need to unpack all the pearls that you've shared with us. And so I wanted to start with the first question, which is, you talked about the narcissism that is prevalent. I was going to ask you, how do we then deal with this narcissism now in these COVID times? Or how is COVID-19 forcing us to look at narcissism? Because I think that requires such a lot of, lot of self-awareness. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it does require a lot of self-awareness. And if I'm, I'm a I'm a Bible reading kind of person. In the book of James, chapter 3, I think verse 16 says, where there's envy and self-seeking, then confusion and all other forms of evil. 
have there also. So that's like it, it's a it's, it's a verse that you know I would probably just read and not pay much attention. Yeah, to. I've read it many times and yeah. never thought of it like that. But when yeah. you when you see a phrase like all other forms of evil, it doesn't say some, it says all. So the root of a lot of evil is in me first. When you develop a habit which then becomes a culture of putting yourself before others or putting yourself up at the expense of others because that's how it starts. Everything everything in life begins in seed form. If a seed is given enough water, soil, and it's buried, then it will develop into a tree. And if that tree is not chopped down, then the fruit of it will show, right? And so it starts in seed form. If I'm, if I mean, I have, I have three daughters. When I began to see the reality of that verse, I started to, when we do Bible um, lessons with them, that became one of the things that I really pounded into them. They can mm -hmm. memorize that. They can they memorize that. They memorize that verse, and they can recite it at the top, drop of a hat. Because I was trying to teach them a valuable lesson, which I wished I had learned when I was younger. Which is that, the seed form of it is you're fighting for your space. And on the surface, that doesn't look like something dangerous. I have to find my space in the world. But as you continue to fight for your space in the world, what you're essentially doing is you're getting into the culture of fighting for yourself. And then before you know it, it develops into this tree whereby if the option is me or somebody else, you'll do whatever it takes so that it can be me. And then before you know it, that develops into I'm going to walk all of, all over everybody else so I can be at the top. It's, you see it everywhere. If you look closely, you'll see how people treat each other. I've seen people, you know, friendships break because somebody got a deal that I also wanted, right? So we don't celebrate each other. We don't have gratitude. We don't have compassion toward one another. And so the result is we then, we become more and more cutthroat. But isn't that part of the scarcity mentality? It is. Because if, if you believe that there isn't enough for exactly. all of us, yes. then you always want to hold, mm -hmm. to hoard and keep things. But if you believe that there's enough, then mm -hmm. there's enough for you, there's enough for me, mm -hmm. there's enough for all of us. That's also another very, very deep philosophical conversation. Because the scarcity mentality is based on the mindset of anticipating lack. So you constantly live in the anticipation of lack. So if you're anticipating that tomorrow I won't have, what are you going to do today? You're going to take as much as you can. And then that's the definition of greed because that's an insatiable thing. So what, what starts off as a habit that is designed to help you to survive then becomes your culture. Culture is basically your attitude. It's basically your mindset. So what are your thought patterns regarding anything? So for example, if I grew up and I was poor and because we were poor I couldn't afford shoes and I, I was aware of that fact by at the age of five maybe because I went to school and there was a kid who always had nice shoes and I couldn't afford maybe because my dad shouted at me and said stop desiring other people's shoes or whatever reason that memory in my mind at five years old gets locked in and that's what we define as a mental stronghold so then that mental stronghold follows me when it comes to shoes, I have the emotions of a five-year-old. So my behavior around shoes will be that of a five-year-old because that's where I locked that memory. I did not grow past five years old in terms of my desire for good shoes. 
So then I might have a wardrobe that has five, six thousand pairs of shoes. I will never have enough shoes because I'm not able to get past that five-year-old boy who didn't have enough shoes, who didn't have a, a good pair of shoes. So the rest of my life is okay. But in this one area, and I'm not zoning in on shoes, you know, to hate on anyone. I'm just right. giving you that as an example. Right. So you'll find people even behave weirdly. You, you'll meet, you, I'm sure you've met people who everything is fine. You know, they're great, amazing people. They, they are intelligent, they're well-read, educated. But there's always that one thing that triggers them. And then suddenly they descend into a four-year-old, six-year-old. And you, it doesn't make sense. You're, not, you're trying to understand why are you behaving this way? Why, are you, why is such a small thing triggering you? Because that thing was implanted at a very early age, locked in as a memory, and because they've never been able to heal from whatever trauma or whatever thing that caused them to feel that way. So you grow up into this thing. So now, we've grown up in a time where, I, I come from the generation, I was saying the other day, my dad is first generation independent Kenyan. These are the guys who we got independent when he was like in his teens. So when they went to school, it was all about get an education, let's build the nation. And then a whole other, you know, slew of Kenyans passed through. And by the time we came along, all the doctor's posts were filled, all the teacher's posts were filled, all the lawyer's posts were filled. But they still wanted you but to be then, a doctor. the mindset was still that a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, right. these, are, these are the vital things based on what they were taught when they were coming up. So then I come up as a creative. So now I'm fighting for my space as a creative. First of all, I'm fighting older generations that are telling me if you're going to be a music producer, musician, whatever, those are hobbies. You know, you pick up the guitar and then it's like, have you finished your homework? Now, as a grown up, all of that chemistry and physics and all that stuff that I learned, bits and pieces of, bits and pieces of it have helped me in life. But for the large part, it was wasted. I could have instead focused on the things that would help me to become who I was designed to be. So now, as a grown-up, I'm fighting against, first of all, other people's mindsets about what I do. Then fighting my own insecurities about what I've been told is I should be doing. And then fighting against systems, whether it's governmental systems, whether it's um, just societal systems that are designed to push me out. Every time I go somewhere and somebody says, oh, so what do you do? So those and are many I'm, battles you have to fight in the day. So you're fighting all these many battles. Right. So then what happens is, Eventually, something in you flips and you're like, you know what, forget everybody else. I'm going to fight for me. So it starts off as a noble cause. But what, 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 what is the thing that causes something to flip? What, what is that moment? Because I know it's different for everyone. For me, for example, when I started making, working as a music producer in the early 2000s, at the time, first of all, there weren't that many studios. And I knocked on a few doors before I was accepted. So you already have a chip on your shoulder because you feel rejected. And then my parents were pretty much very understanding compared to some of the stories I've had. But still, they will still look at you like, okay, you do the music thing, have fun for a while. I mean, it's good we've taken you to university, you're gonna go right. get a proper job. And every time things would be thick, people will tell me, why, why don't you just stop this thing you're doing and get a mm. proper job? Mm. So that thing eventually develops into a trigger. And its roots come from way before that. I remember my, when I was in high school, I went to boarding school and I was in Form 1. I used to love music so much and I'd be drumming on the desk and my school was mixed. My desk mate was uh, this girl and we were, well, you know, we were friends. There was nothing off. Only one day for me to find out that all the girls in the class ganged up against me and went and reported me to the class teacher 
and said that I was making noise for them during prep. Because of your drumming? Because of my drumming, you know. So then I became very aware of the of the two-faced nature of human beings. Because mm. I was like, how are you sitting next to me, smiling at me, and then behind my back, you're reporting me for making noise? Why didn't you just come to me and say... That for me, I think, was a very traumatic thing because when I was reported to the head teacher, I was, I mean, I went to high school in the 90s when we used to be beaten like donkey. When the class teacher took me to go, you know, have a chat with me, the deputy principal happened to be passing by and he was the school disciplinarian. And this guy was known, you know, he, he used to be the tennis coach as well, so he had quite the backhand and he really whooped my butt. This is how traumatic it was. For the next three years, end of almost end of form three, I didn't talk to the girls in my school. Because you didn't trust them. Because I didn't trust them. Right. Now in hindsight is when I realized that was insane. But at the time, it was such a serious thing. And so that kind of shapes who I grew up to be. I come up with this chip on my shoulder. I have a point to prove. One day I'm going to make something of myself. And so I spent a lot of my 20s trying to prove that point. That what I do is actually valuable to society. And that's why I ended up, you know, being, in my opinion, semi-famous. Because I was like, maybe if I'm known enough, if people see enough of my work, then I will have value in society. So that was my driving force. I wasn't driven by, this is who I am. I was driven by this chip on my shoulder, this need to prove my worth to society, this need to be respected. And so not having mentors coming up who were in that space that I could look up to and be like, oh, okay, this person went through this, this and lessons to learn. I was basically learning a lot of these lessons the hard way. And so every mistake that I made added to the chip on my shoulder. It didn't really sharpen me. It wasn't until, you know, much later. And then obviously at some point you continue on that track and then you eventually become toxic because now it's got to the point where nobody wants to work with you. Nobody wants to hang out with you, but you can't, you don't even see it because you're so driven by this, this negativity that you're trying to overcome right. in your own life. So it wasn't for me. It wasn't you're not dealing, you haven't dealt yeah, with it. Yeah, I haven't dealt with that. So yeah. it's, a, it's like a series of it's a series of emotions from just not being understood as a, from a young age. I mean, right. in my case, I was a very skinny child and I had knees sticking out. And so kids at school would laugh at me. And then I go to high school and we used to wear shorts in Form 1. And, and so, yeah, so your legs are showing you like, does this ever end? And mm. people are, you know, laughing at your stick legs. And then so you, you already have this, you're fighting against the world, basically. So right. you never, I was not... I knew what I was supposed to be, but I was trying to be that for the wrong reasons. For the reason of finally one day they will they won't laugh at me. Yeah, they'll know right? who I am. They'll know who, who I, I am. Be. And so what that is, it plants this very dangerous seed of narcissism, which then starts mm -hmm. to grow. Starts yeah. off as I need to survive. Eventually it bears the fruit of I am the best. Only I who can do it. That's interesting. I've never thought about narcissism coming from there. I just thought, so I'm, I'm curious to know, when did this, this idea of the two-faced human being that you experienced with the girls in school, mm -hmm. and then as you're going through life, mm -hmm. has that ever left you? This idea of, I don't know if you're, what you're saying is really what you're showing, mm -hmm. or has that, has that served to help you in, in, in life, in business? I think... Any form of bifurcation, anytime you split yourself, I don't think it's ever beneficial. I think it's in the end, because I, like I said, I like to look at things from a big picture point of view. When you're going through it and you know, you've know you successfully managed to trick people into believing something about you that is not real, I think that you can carry that on for a while, but I think eventually it catches up to you and people will 
pick one side of what you present and choose decide that that's who you are for me again a series of events took place because of that disapproval of my female classmates it started subconsciously it became important for me to gain the approval right. of women oh just women yeah because i didn't have i didn't have any clashes with, with the guys, with guys okay. right and so it continued into my my late teens and early 20s i began to pursue the admiration and approval of women becoming toxic right for different people it's different things but for me that i think that was the foundation was that now i was like okay you know when that, when such a, when that thing happened i was i was 13 years old what do you know at 13 years old the only thing you know is what you see and what i was seeing was girls for some reason don't like me so i'm going to work on my gift to the point where they realize there's actually value in my gift so then i'm playing guitar i'm doing all these things because i want them to be impressed by me but then i don't realize what i'm doing it's subconscious Right. right. And, so you, then, and, and you're not seeing a therapist because and I'm not seeing a therapist because it's not no, part of our it's culture. Not part exactly. of our culture. Yeah. So which which brings me to the next question is how do you how do you help someone who's going through the same thing? Mm -hmm. You're pretty self-aware, but they may not be. How does someone overcome these tribulations, this trauma that one has to be able to be this human being that can embrace the world and not be choked by the you know the childhood traumas? Mm -hmm. I think they're different paths that can lead you to being delivered from you know all of that at the very basic i wish now in hindsight i wish i had had an opportunity to go for counseling because i think i would have avoided so many pitfalls that i've had in my life and 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 you know and, and i would also have avoided wounding so many people that i wounded i wounded as a result of my own mm. my own pain trying to figure yeah, out your my own, own trauma pain. exactly mm. but for me i think what 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 because like, like i said as a as a christian who having a relationship with god what happened was i went through god sent me to the wilderness and you know if you know, in bible it says i sent you to the wilderness to prove so you had a wilderness experience yes i sent you to the wilderness how many years was it or how many days oh my god sometimes i feel like i'm still in the wilderness okay. in certain in certain ways mm -hmm. but i would say it started that wilderness experience started in 2013 which culminated in me going to the United States. And I went to the US to intern for Rodney Jerkins, also known as Dark Child. And I thought, I was like, at the time I thought, ah, oh, fine. Because before that happened, I had come to this point where I was like, I became honest with myself and I said, you know what, I've been living this double life where I'm trying to really hide the, the effects of my trauma, my childhood trauma and my growing up trauma. And we had had this long conversation with, with, with Sarah, my wife. We did do some marriage counseling at the time because Obviously, all of like our individual experiences, they have an effect on how we relate with each other as well. And we had gotten to a point where it was either we're going to leave each other or we're going to find help. It was that that's where it got to. Exasper what's the word? Exacerbated. Exacerbated. This situation was um, the fact that at the time in 2013, we had a, a second-born child who was born with Down syndrome. So now you already have your own clashes and issues. And then you have a child who needs extreme care and help. So that was like the heat turned up. Through the process of taking the child for therapy three times a week. And a lot of, you know, some terrible things happened even with the child. Because the child, you know, she had a lot of um, health problems. And going through that process is what forced me to finally be willing. Because 
even my wife will tell you i used to be extremely secretive of my it's just my not necessarily of any even anything like just mm-hmm. my emotional state i was very aware of what showing emotion would do for my reputation i did everything to hide what i was feeling what i was thinking i was okay. never truly yeah. i was never truly honest about even like i would never do anything like this for example in the past i'm honored that you're doing yeah. this with me so i would never open up about mm. this in, in the past because i felt what do people think about me what are people going to say all of these things that you know these lies that us you know ro- rolling around in your head that keep you trapped in your s- current state and so i felt trapped and so eventually when i when we had this honest conversation and we met with you know, our, our pastor and i was finally able to dump all the junk that was in my heart and my mind mm. and then first of all i saw first of all my wife's reaction and i was like you don't you didn't judge me you don't hate me because of all the things that i've just said my pastor same thing and i was like wow i've actually you're showing me love even after you've seen the real me that to me was extremely mind blowing because the lie that that was in my mind was that if people see the real you nobody's going to want to be around you right you know we love you exactly so i protected myself with everything that i had when that happened it began this process it was shortly after that is when a baby was born so now this came at a time when i was learning how to live free free of fear of any oh, backlash great. from right. my emotions backlash from what my thoughts backlash from my past behavior and all of that stuff but then i thought at the time i was like okay now that i've unburdened myself this is why god has been gracious to me and is giving me the chance to go intern for my idol of many years right mm. only for us to go to america now in hindsight as see i was like okay that was the wilderness that was the proving ground you know we went through intense suffering because I was going as an intern as an intern which means I was not getting paid but then I knew this was an opportunity of a lifetime and so right. I went in and I you know it was my wife and I and then on arrival we had a third child in the in the process of preparing to leave in fact when just when we were going to leave both my wife and I got these huge opportunities at about the same time mm-hmm. so everything seemed like oh my god finally god is rewarding me that's how I felt god is rewarding me for being honest and for being open and then right in the middle of us about to take on these two giant opportunities work-wise for both of us our baby died the one that had down syndrome so then that felt like a huge first of all that just the trauma we had grown to just to love her and take care of exactly we had accepted this is going to be our life and then she died just she just died one Mm. one one morning my wife woke up to go pick her up and she and she was dead and that in itself is is a traumatic event losing a child and especially yeah she wasn't unwell um she just we we had had this flu that was going around and she had a minor flu nothing i fed her the previous night and you know she was fine put her to bed and like it's okay she had taken her meds you wake up in the morning and she's gone and this is right in fact she passed away and my wife had, a, had probably the biggest gig of her life was happening that weekend and this was friday morning and we were supposed to we were meant to be traveling the following day for her to go play this gig. And then I also had this other music production gig lined up for a huge entertainment company and it was going to be one of those things that once if I did that I was set. I was ready now to hit, you know, international um waters and all that. When when our big passed away, all of that kind of disappeared in that. Right. Right. So then we had to now prepare to go to the states. So you canceled right. the events. So we canceled these events. events were canceled. Not even by us, by obviously by the organizers. People When found out heard, like oh my right. god, you lost your baby. Okay, you can't we can't let you on our stage in that state. You know, we're going to find a replacement. 
and we were banking on the resources from these events to set to us up to, for when yes. we go to the states. States was still a thing, so we went there in the first couple of months. We burnt up all the resources we we had. So the rest of the almost two years there, I literally would wake up and go work for work to work at Rodney Studio mm. and hang out with him and all day and like be talking and doing stuff, and nobody knew what was going on. Meanwhile, on some because we were staying at a hotel, some because we couldn't rent a house because. We, we, we went there first on just on tourist visas and then when we mm -hmm. got there, I was like, okay, since I'm not working for pay, it's fine. And so we were working on getting working visas, all visas for work. And those kept, they kept getting delayed. We had all the paperwork and everything, but they weren't arriving on time. So we were just living kind of in limbo. We were mm. living on the support and love of friends and family, which was insanely difficult, especially with two kids. We were in the right. foreign country, two children, in a in a system of wow. a financial system that's actually designed to kick out foreigners and it was just it was hell and then every time we'd be like okay let's let's go home then we find out oh somebody's passport is expired so now we have to renew a passport which takes X amount of time so we, we just kept you know wow. anticipating the return that was indeed the wilderness it was the wilderness it was the wilderness and so and before we left because we thought we were gonna go to the us we're not gonna come back anytime soon so we got rid of all our belongings before we left so you have nothing to come we have nothing to come home to we come back after two years. We came back for Sarah's younger sister's wedding. Due to many reasons, we ended up staying. So the wilderness experience continues because now we're staying. We're not sure, are we going back? Are we staying here? Mm. We finally now have, by that point already have, we had all visas that were expiring in like late 2019. So we could go back and forth right. for work. We had work situations lined up there, but nothing was set in stone. And then on top of that, our kids are like, we love it here in Kenya. We don't want to go back. So wow. now we're here, we're in limbo. Do we find a house and settle? Do we like so we're bouncing back between her parents' house, my parents' house? Eventually we're like, okay, this is nonsense. Let's just get a house and settle. But now we were starting again from scratch. So we moved into a house with two plastic chairs after being married for more than 10 years. We are starting again with two chairs, sleeping yeah. on mattresses on the floor. That's hard. Feels like we, you don't have a car, hmm. you don't have... You're depending on others. You're depending on people. But then what that teaches you, I guess in a sense we were very privileged hmm. before. We had access to important people, to you know things, resources. When you have to start over, when you're living with your parents who run a charity in Island, and then you have to meet somebody in Valiakid and you don't have a car, the only, the only thing you can do is take a, a, a mat. It's a very different learning experience. So mm -hmm. you can either look at it as this is embarrassing and I shouldn't be going through this. I've achieved so much in life. Why am I back here? But it taught us a valuable lesson. This is why I'm coming to now the point where the point of understanding how narcissistic and, and privileged and just self-seeking you become. Before, we used to play gigs, live live shows. My wife is a singer. And, you know, you tell people, hey, we're going to have rehearsal on this day and that day and find your way to this place. And this place is on this side of the city. And a lot of the guys we're playing with, they come from across the other side of the city. Right. Some of them, Islands and Bakasi, all these places. People are carrying instruments and they have to take a mat, come for rehearsal. Many times you don't even feed them. And then they go home. We don't even bother to ask them, hey, are you going to get home? Rehearsal ended at 7.30 p.m. Are you gonna be okay to get home? I know a guitarist who was once on a 
border border and then it was coming from I think coming from a gig or going to a gig and then they had a slight accident and then his guitar fell off oh. and the neck broke right you're not aware of those kinds of realities so for me I'm glad we went through that experience because we became aware of our own privilege we became aware of our own self-centeredness we became aware of our own lack of understanding of how people are living that wilderness process basically you know and how did that change how you're how you're operating because it's one thing to be aware mm -hmm. of it it's one oh thing God, we for became, to i think to become aware of something you can become aware of something because somebody told you or you can become aware of something because you went through the thing we went through the thing and my wife and i vowed we said you know what we're never ever going to have any event without knowing how people are arriving getting home and it's our rule now if, if we're doing like rehearsal or we're shooting something you know we do some stuff like that we shoot we go crazy about feeding people yeah. because you don't know those people even ate before yeah. they came especially now with covid we've seen so many people in our industry who are going hungry for days and so we, we've made it our mission to say if if we're working together before we get to the work and all you know how qualified or professional are you our own character is the thing that should be at the forefront and so what that means is i'm i'm aware if somebody comes and tells me hey um do you think you can advance i don't have bus fare i i understand exactly what they're saying i've been there therefore i'm more compassionate we even try to make sure that we don't have to get to that conversation if we can help it sometimes we've even taken a cut from our own earnings and said you know what first of all let's make sure this everybody that comes is okay because if it's a concert we're playing and the band members if everybody is okay and satisfied they have food we fed them during rehearsal they've we've asked them how are you guys doing do you have food at home and uh, then they hesitate because you know people have pride. Uh, yes it's embarrassing it's embarrassing yeah. and then i recognize okay mm -hmm. so i say hey listen on your way out here's a bag of this and a bag of that and some greens that i had let's share what we have that humanity it just it brings the best it brings out the best in people so then you have a more enjoyable working environment because Absolutely. because everybody's needs have been met just to give you an example i have a friend who was running a, you know like a small business and we once had a zoom call before zoom was a thing with um, a, an, ex, like an experienced businessman in the states who also you know he, he was like giving us advice like you know how to handle different things our friend who was running this little organization of his asked a question and he said i'm I'm finding that my my staff are really stealing from me. How do I prevent people from robbing me? And this Muzungu guy laughed. And he said, well, in my experience, he said, I run a big company, as you know. And he said, when I changed the culture at my company and started focusing on people's needs, then they don't steal I stopped from getting you. robbed. Yeah. He said, if people are stealing from you, you're not meeting their needs. And he said, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should give wow, them more money or that you should, you know, but they have unmet needs so they will steal from you and i found that that like that thing hit hard because after that during that zoom call after that there was silence for a little bit because like okay wow. let that sink in because it's one of those things where like no but people are evil like no 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 that and he said specifically he said unless somebody is just a thief but if there's a culture in your environment of people robbing you and if you keep hiring different staff and they're robbing you're not meeting their needs. the problem is wow. you you're not meeting their needs it's the same thing we had to learn that by going through it that's why i said there are different paths that you can take to go from being one way to becoming 
something different. Right. For me, it was a wilderness experience that completely killed the narcissist in me, helped me, forced me to see my trauma for what it was. Trauma that should not define who I become. If I allow others' treatment of me or my experiences to define who I am, that's a lack of character. If I have character, then who I am is not defined by what I go through. It's defined by what I've decided to become, right? People, there are people who go through difficult things and then they're like, life is hard, I'm going to become a thief. Right. And there are others who go through difficult things and say, life is so hard, I'm going to work hard and get out of this mess. Same experience, two resolve, right? So ultimately, we decide who we become. We decide what our character is. And so for me, when I went through that wilderness experience, I came out of it knowing clearly who I want to be and who I don't want to be. Now, have I become the thing that I want to be? Most likely not. But for me, it's a journey. It's a journey. So if you if you met me a year ago, you meet me now. I'm not even the same person I was a year ago. I'm not the same person I was two years ago. There were still elements about me and the way that I live life that people would consider to be toxic. But now, because I was aware that I do have certain levels of toxicity within me, it's easier for me to face that and want to be transformed and to be to not be that person anymore. Yeah, and I also don't think that we are perfect. I think that this idea of I am perfect and everyone else when I'm looking at them, I'm judging. So part mm -hmm. of mindfulness is this idea of non-judgment mm -hmm. because as human beings, we're very judgmental. Mm -hmm. And I think that having self-compassion for yourself is really important mm -hmm. in saying, I'm not the best version, but I know I am becoming. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we all are. So mm -hmm. you're not, we're not perfect. But I just wanted to ask you, how has your wilderness experience and everything you've talked about changed you or changed how you parent your daughters? Mm, that's an interesting question. I think having been, having gone through such experiences, obviously, if you if you go through something difficult, the tendency is that you don't want anybody else to go through the same thing if you love them. Right. I mean, and if you're a bit more mature, then you don't want anybody to go through that, whether you love them or not. There are moments where I look at, I mean, my kids are still very young, so our eldest is 10. And now that she's 10, you know, she, she, has, a, she has an opinion, she has dreams and things she wants to be. Same, I mean, our five-year-old has always just known this is who I am, this is what I want to be. She doesn't have such struggle. But in the journey, we met, we've met a lot of people um, in different walks of life, going through uh, different phases of, you know, whatever they're going through. And one of the things that we became very clear is that we are not we're not all called to be the same thing. If you go through history, people who achieve greatness, they stand out. Why? Because most of us as human beings don't have the level of greatness where the, the entire world can see you. Nelson Mandela didn't fight apartheid by himself, but he's an icon in that space. There might be other many, many people who played minor roles in that who we might never see and there are also people who just accepted their fate and did nothing about it you know and so within that same sphere you have all these different realities you know we're very keen on who our, ch our children are meant to be and not, not based on what we want them to be but based on what we can see them becoming you know they have gifts they have talents they have personalities and so again going back to 
works, you know, believing that they were created for a purpose. What is that purpose? Sometimes it's outside of who we are. You know, maybe none of them will pursue music. Maybe none of them will care about the things we care about. Our role is to prepare them for the for the for the reality of who they will become. So, for example, our firstborn says by the time she's 16, she wants to be fully in her career. So, what does that mean? We have conversations every week where I tell her, you know, most people have to wait until they finish university to launch a career. If you want to start off by the time you're 16, you need to learn important things, virtues such as leadership, such as compassion, such as what we call righteous rule, which is if you're in a situation and you're the one in charge, you have to look out for those who are within your care. So she has to learn all these things now. And so everything that she goes through, if she's playing with her friends and, you know, just simple things that we look, we overlook, like, you know, conflict resolution, right. which for me is one of like the most important things that any leader can do is learn how to engage in and resolve conflict. Right. I come from the generation that is, does everything in our power to avoid conflict. True, that's how the world survives, mm -hmm. we avoid conflict. And as a result, we don't grow and mature. And people who have learned to face conflict head on and resolve it in a way that is not selfish and resolve it completely, those are people that end up becoming great and people mm. respect you within your sphere. So within our daughter's sphere of rule, whether it's when she's playing with her younger cousins or whatever, the lessons are, is everybody who is under your care at that space, how do they feel about you being mm. in charge? Do they feel covered? Do they feel protected? Do they wow. feel seen? Do they feel, you know, whatever it could be? My our own experiences, whatever things we've learned, we mm. try to impart in our children as much as possible. Mm. Compassion. Our second, you know, the middle child, the five-year-old, is naturally a very giving person. So we even had to have a conversation with her teachers at school and say, listen, if this child comes to school with toys and therefore some other kid, mm. Don't stop sending them back home and saying, because you think they just snuck a toy into school. Mm. She has full autonomy as far as her belongings to give as wow. she sees fit. It's a powerful lesson. Yeah. Right? Mm. And so we don't stand in the way. She knows. You can come to her house and then she'll look at you and be like, hmm, Dorothy's having a bad day. She'll go outside and pluck a flower for you oh. and give you. Or she'll see some other kid and be like, oh, this kid needs a book. Right? She's brought some challenges to us and said things like, did you know so-and-so, they live in a small house, you guys should build them a house, you know, those kinds of conversations. And for us, it's being able to foster that and to bring that out, to bring out their gifts, as opposed to trying to enforce our opinions, our mindsets on them. So the compassion that we've learned from going through difficult things has also allowed us to reevaluate how we deal with our own children. Are we preparing them for the future? Or are we trying to turn them into meaning us? In which case, we've lost them. Because I have friends whose parents were like, no, you know, you can't do that, you're going to become this. So they submit themselves, the parents will, and then they wait, they go through all through university, they work two, three years of the thing, and then one day they wake up and they it's quit. Changed. That relationship is estranged. Mm. Because the parents are like, why did you leave your nice job at the bank to go do this nonsense? Because that nonsense, quote-unquote, that's who I'm supposed to be. Now, if you help me to foster that when I was a child, you don't need to have this conversation. So we, my philosophy is, if my child is meant to be a sculptor, then let her sculpt the David. 
that's who I should raise you to be. We should prepare you to make whatever you're doing at the highest level as possible. As opposed to trying to convince you, no, you know, there's no money in that. Like, okay. You're enabling, you're an enabler in mm -hmm. what they need to be. Yes. And so we have to create an environment for them to recognize who they are, who they need to become, what they need to be in life, the places they need to go in life. Our first one, for example, she wants to own a restaurant and she also wants to be a singer. And she's also, she's already doing, so she's already modeling. We're like, okay, you want to own a restaurant? So before COVID hit, our plan was to save money and take her to France for her 10th birthday. So then she can go and experience food culture on the global stage as much as we possibly could. In as far as her singing, she's already, her mom has gone with her on even international trips where she's performing in, like one time she's performing in Boston and she went with her and they had practiced a song and she got a chance to perform. Same thing, her second born was, she's the one who, she says I have to be like my dad. So she wants to produce music and she wants to DJ. I don't DJ, but she wants to become a Does DJ. she want to become a, cool, a chef like you? The first born wants to become a chef. So like now, She'll be like, you know, I finished my schoolwork. Is it okay if I do like, I watch one hour of this cooking show? She said she wants to understand by the time she's 16. So the plan is next year, on her 11th birthday, we're gonna find her an apprenticeship at a restaurant. Go start by washing dishes in a restaurant on Saturdays. So then you can get used to the restaurant environment. So you know, you're preparing for what you're supposed to be. As opposed to being like, oh, you know, being a chef, this, that, the other. You can actually become anything you want in 2020 in life Absolutely. and make a great living out of it and influence the world Absolutely. through whatever you're called to be. So we don't have, uh, we're not trying to stifle them or force them into, oh, you know, this is, this is the wise thing to do or you should, this is the logical thing to do. No, what were you meant to be? How can we make you sure that you're the best of be. that? And so the, the suffering, they mean, they did go through a lot of it with us. Of course, mm -hmm. we shielded them as much as possible from whatever was happening. But they, still but they didn't have the same growing up as most of their age mates. And so even the way they view life, we, we've noticed the way they see life is different because of the experiences that they've had. And so we're very big on, you know, be compassionate, be kind to other kids, be righteous in your rule, whatever sphere of rule you find yourself. And so, and be loving to others and don't treat, treat people with respect. Okay, and how do you prepare for success? My view of what success is, is um, so I want to achieve X, but I don't know how to get there, right? So that will, there are those who might say I'm a successful music producer. I got there by having an idea of when I achieve, when I do this, this then I'll know I'm successful. Obviously, at the time when I was doing that is when I was trying to overcome my own issues and mm what I felt at the time of society's problems. I don't know, I think you just, you just have to, you have to start. Whatever thing you want to be successful at, you can't be that by thinking about it. Or right. planning, planning is good, but no amount of planning gets you to the destination, right? You have to, you know, make your first step mm -hmm. and then keep making, make more steps. And then I think at some point, the steps add up to a journey, right? So then you, and the journey adds up to a destination. And sometimes there was a time I thought I was successful because I had a song playing on radio. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is it, I have arrived. And then there was another time when I was, I walked in and I was like, hi, my name is David. And the response, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Rodney Jenkins. And I thought, wow, I've met Rodney Jenkins. He's been my idol since I was 17. I've made it. 
and then but then that passed now i'm trying to achieve success in different things in life and all of them are just a matter of just doing the work just start and that's if you if you start and you're consistent and you don't give up and by don't give up i don't mean i mean like anybody who's close enough to me will tell you i give up almost every week but then something in me is like no 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 i can't just you know there's something pulling me towards whatever thing i'm giving up at and so i pick myself up and i keep going success is a result of just as long as you failed you get up and you continue like success is guaranteed if you do that so failure you fail and pick yourself up yep failure is not is is actually is not not reaching your goal failure is when you stop the the day you fall down and you don't get back up then you failed but as long as you keep getting back up right. even after you fail you will succeed that is guaranteed right doesn't matter it take it could take you some people it takes 50 years some people it takes five but especially as the, the bigger the goal that you're trying to meet the harder you have to persist so you keep failing keep keep going back keep failing keep going back and so i think it's just the consistency and right. and the the push you know don't give up you fail you get back up you continue i failed in my pursuit of you know music production or other pursuits many times even now as we speak i'm literally starting again after god knows how many times there was a point i felt like surely at my level of success around the world this should not be this should be an easy as easy as i dust myself off and then i pick up where i was no I, sometimes i fall and then i have to start again all the way from scratch but then i'm like it's okay this time if i went 50 meters now i'm going to go for 70 and then if i fail at 70 okay i'm going to start again then i'm going to go at, until 100 so it's just a matter of if you start something and this is something i tell my kids all the time before you start something make sure you want to start it because i'm not going to let you go until you see it through doesn't matter what it is so the things that i struggled with especially when i was younger things would get tough and i'm like ah, i can't do this it's too hard so that philosophy in our house doesn't doesn't fly i'm like listen you started it if you, you see it through yeah right? right because that's how I'm, that's how i'm preparing you for success learn to see things through it's as simple I as that. that and that's a wonderful way to to end this learn to see things through thank you david it's been so lovely chatting with you thank you thank, thank you, you. bye well that's all today in no head where we learn to live in the present moment thanks for listening join me again next tuesday make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode i'm on google podcast apple podcasts castbox stitcher soundcloud spotify please share the link in your circles and do rate me You can also follow me on Instagram, No Head Podcast. Catch you next time, my friend. May you have a big picture of everything you're going through. May you be consistent. 
and may you never give up on life. Bye-bye. Thank you.